scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 10. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers have Bibles available. Just raise your hand and they'll bring one right to you. John chapter 10 this morning. Be reading from verses 1 through verse 30. John chapter 10, 1 through 30. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And God give us understanding in this passage of Scripture being read this morning. If you would please remain standing with me as we pause for a moment of prayer. And after prayer, we'll hear a song from our choir before hearing the preaching of God's word this morning. So let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us another day where we can come be together in this place of worship and to worship you and to hear your word. Many that are not with us today because of sickness and we do pray for, for them. We ask that you would just put your hand on them to heal and to bless and to cause them to trust in you for, for their relief, for their healing, for their well-being. We pray for um, uh, Mickey and Willie who are sick today. We pray for um, the Holtz, Mac and Jackie who are not feeling well today, that you would watch over and bless them. Um, we think of Patty and uh, her son that are not here today because of, of sickness, so we pray that you would just watch over and be with them. Um, we also pray for, for Minnie Kathy. We pray for, for her and her well-being, Lord. We pray for Beverly Alexander that you would watch over and be with, with her, Lord. And we also um, we just pray um, for um, each, each one that's been suffering. Think of my dad and, and his sickness, Lord. Uh, Lola Spears and her condition that you would watch over and be with her. Um, we think of Dwayne and Savannah as well, that you would, um, your grace might be upon them, Lord. So in this small group of people, there are many who are struggling and suffering from different ailments and perhaps some of that I haven't even mentioned that you would watch over be with them allow them to maintain a testimony of trusting in you and that their friends relatives all who see them and uh, going through what they're going through might also see their faith in you and might be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of their faithfulness and their steadfast testimony we pray for the preaching of your word thanking you for each one here today Pray that you'd open our eyes and ears to hear and to receive your truth and to respond in the right way towards it. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like for you to keep in mind for prayer next week for Brian and Heidi as they travel to Indianapolis, excuse me, to Indiana and uh, preach there at... Uh, at uh, Pastor Williams, Heidi's dad, family's uh, church. So let's pray for them as we'll, we will miss them here and want to pray that God's blessing will be with them as they travel and as they preach. It's been a blessing uh, preaching through the series in Esther. We've completed that series and uh, we'll do a transition time before we start our next series. That's our pray and work on what God would have us to start in our next series. But in the meantime, we'll be looking at uh, part of this passage in John chapter 10. Before we get there, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you who uh, just poured your heart in, in uh, greetings and uh, um, uh, wishing me a happy birthday. Praise God for you all. Uh, 
read every text, every message, um, every voicemail listened to, and every card uh, read, and just was delighted to see uh, your kind expression uh, of love to, to me. I, I, I'm, I am truly blessed uh, to have a, a family, and a church family, an extended family. Uh, how good it feels to be loved. <laughs> how good it is to be loved and loved by God and loved by God's people and not just loved in a quiet way but love that lets you know it and uh, won't let you forget it I praise God for that so appreciate your expressions and every type of expression that that you've had uh, towards us you know uh, I'm in that club now some have welcomed me to the 60s club so <laughs> I wasn't born in 60. I was born before that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm getting old, but so are you. <laughs> There's an alternative. You don't want to get old. You better be ready for that one. All right. So our series now, actually just a transition, we'll look at uh, a few things that um, uh, gleam from John chapter 10, and, and it really... Um, We'll go into John chapter 10 in just a bit, but let me just ask you to respond to this. Raise your hand if you know that you sin and have a sin nature. Raise your hand if you know that you sin and have a sin nature. Amen. That's, I'll raise my hand too. Um, that's all of us. That you struggle with sin. Now, not everybody would admit to struggling with sin, but if you have a sin nature, I guarantee you, you struggle <laughs> with sin uh, because we don't have the power in ourselves to battle sin. And so today I want to talk about that, the battle with the enemy, the battle with the enemy. I do have to confess that uh, gleaming some of this from that series in Esther where a prominent theme in Esther is this evil man, Haman. And you know, the music kind of comes on, we hear that name, dun-dun-dun, evil Haman. Everything about him is evil, but the reason why he's introduced in the story of Esther is because he gives us a vivid, real-life picture of our enemy, and I say our, I mean the whole human race, our enemy, Satan. Some people don't recognize Satan, don't even acknowledge him, and that's the worst kind of enemy to have when you don't even know he exists or don't uh, acknowledge that he's there and that he's your enemy. You ever have a person, you probably had a, a friend who you tried to inform that another person they thought of as a friend really isn't a friend? You try to tell them that and they won't hear it. Say, hey, dude, you, you got to open your eyes. That ain't your friend. Do you know what she did or what she, he said? And you try to inform that and they, they think you're just, just bad-mouthing. But you would like them to recognize, you'd like them to see that the one that they don't acknowledge or they think is a friend is not that at all. So Haman is, is that picture. We can't see Satan. We can't see the devil. You can't see God. He is a spirit. So is Satan. He's a spirit. 
He's a spiritual being that we can't see with physical eyes. And, and, and so God gives us a little vivid picture of him in the, in the story of Esther and his name, the vivid picture of Satan. His name is Haman. Let's take a look back at a couple things that Haman reminds us of. So turn to Esther chapter 3. You want to put a bookmark in John uh, chapter 10. We'll go back to Esther chapter 3 and just look at a few things here that Haman does that reminds us of our enemy. Haman chapter 3 verse 5. It says, when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. Now remember the account, Haman had got promoted by the king and, and he got a high position and the king also commanded all the servants to bow down to Haman and Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. Now, what in that picture reminds you of Satan? Satan wants folks to worship him. He always does, always has, always will. He wants to be like the Most High. He wants to be like God. He wants to, to take the glory that God has and only God should receive, and he wants to receive it. The Bible makes it clear that only God should be worshipped, and yes, God should be worshipped. And Satan wants to be worshipped like God. He wants to be honored. And so what we see is Haman is filled with fury because this man won't honor him in the way that he thinks he ought to be honored. Reminds us of Satan. Uh, look, because of this, you think that, well, that's just a small thing. Look at the next verse. Verse 6 says this. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. In other words, he got so mad. He wanted to kill Mordecai, but he didn't want to stop at Mordecai. Go on with the verse. It says, he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of of Ahasuerus. So he sought to destroy the Jews. Now the Jews there in the Old Testament, are a, they are the people of God. They represent the people of God, the people that God has chosen to put his name on so that his name might be, be proclaimed throughout all the earth. He chose the Jews. And Haman now is a hater of the Jews. And how does that remind you of Satan? Satan seeks to destroy. He hates God's people. He seeks to destroy God's people. You know, sometimes you have to say that. You kind of like want to grab a person by the shoulder and say, I want you to understand this. Satan wants to destroy you. I say it this way. Not only God's people, he wants to destroy God's creation. You know, not all, not all persons are, are, are the people of God. Not all persons are children of God. But hate, Satan wants to destroy all of God's creation. In other words, whether you're saved and acknowledge Christ or not, Satan has you in his scope. <laughs> you got a target on you, whether you're saved or not. If you are a human being, part of God's creation, Satan wants to destroy you. Keep that in mind. Be mindful of that. Know that. So Haman reminds us of that in, uh, in, in his life. In, verse, um, verse, in chapter 5, verse 9, of Esther, chapter 5, verse 9, 
It says, Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. You know, he had been invited to the special feast by the queen. And uh, so he was, he was delighted. But it says this, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. He, he was ticked off. He was, he was angry. He was mad. The, the sight of, of God's people just angered him. If you, if you have faith in God and you live by that faith on a daily basis, you ever come across somebody who just doesn't like you and you don't know why? <laughs> Maybe they don't know why either. But Satan is, 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 is able to express himself that way, and Haman did that. He was, again, filled with wrath against Mordecai. Let's look at another thing in chapter 7, verse 6 of Esther. Esther describes Satan in three words here. Esther said, a foe, an enemy, this wicked Haman. He's a foe, one who opposes God's people. He's an enemy, not only opposes, but seeks to destroy God's enemy, I mean God's people. And so not only does he seek to destroy, but he's got the power to pull it off. You know, some people make threats to you and you go, ah, big deal, no problem, I'm not worried about you. But other people make threats, and you know they have the capacity to carry it out. You better keep your eye open. That was Haman. And Esther called him an enemy, a foe. And it says this, this wicked Haman. He is evil to the core. And that's where he is the dis adequate description of Satan. God wanted us to have a real-life example. He gave, us, gave that illustration to us in the person of Haman in this story. Um, being an evil person, in chapter 8, verse 3, we see his plan. It says, Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman. And the plot that he had devised against the Jews. Evil plots evil. I think it's Proverbs that talks about the evil just laying their bed at night trying to plan whatever evil they can do the next day. They're plotting it continually, and that's a, that's a picture of Satan. It tells you something about that, that Satan ain't lazy. <laughs> He's busy. He's busy. He's busy doing the, working out the plan that he has. So we need to know that. We need to be informed of how Satan works and the, the energy and zeal and the passion with which he works. He doesn't let up. He doesn't slow down. He doesn't take a vacation. He's busy pressing his plan, doing it. And so that is a, a, that's a, that's a, a, a formidable enemy. We need to be aware of that. And then chapter 9 kind of wraps it up in two verses. Chapter 9, verse 24 and 25 says this. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews. How can you be the enemy of all people of a race? It's like not one you can find that you can get along with. That you, he says, I want to kill them all. He's an enemy of all of God's people. Again, he's a picture of Satan himself had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. Verse 25, but when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head. Evil plan he devised, he's a picture of Satan, and, and it, it, the beauty of God's plan is God's going to turn 
Satan's plan on his own head, and he's done that already. He started to do that, and he's going to complete that. We'll talk more about how that happens. And so you see the nature of Satan in the character of Haman. Let's look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want you to turn back to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about his task and his, his, um, his work as a shepherd. He's talking to people who understood what shepherding was all about. Um, and he says this, I am the true shepherd as opposed to uh, uh, phony ones who try to act like they are shepherds and they're not. So he says this, look at verses 1 through 6. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the, sheep, the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So he talks about those who are, are not real or genuine shepherds. What's the job of a shepherd? In two, two words, it is to protect and to provide for the sheep. To protect and to provide for the sheep. It's the shepherd that leads the sheep out into pastures where they can feed. Safe, good pastures, uh, where they can eat uh, uh, grass that is good for them, that's not tainted, where they can be free of any natural enemies that would try to attack and kill them. He will protect them. He will watch over them as they feed. And so that's, that's the job of the shepherd. The enemy in these verses in John chapter 10 is, is, is listed as a stranger, a thief, or a robber. And also the wolf. And so there's, there's two types of, 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 of enemies or two types of, of ways that the sheep are threatened. One is by one who is a phony shepherd who, who uh, does not protect the sheep from the uh, attacks of the enemy. And, and so that's kind of like a subtle uh, uh, enemy against the sheep. And the other one is not subtle at all, and that's the wolf. The sheep see him and they know what he's about. He, he's looking to see who's weak. He's looking to see who's vulnerable. He comes in to attack, and what he wants to do is to destroy and to kill. Both of these are pictures of Satan himself. He works in subtle ways behind the scenes, coming alongside us to act like he's our friend, maybe even give us guidance, and to lead us astray. Jesus says in his story, the stranger or the thief or the robber, he comes in, but he doesn't really protect his sheep. And the sheep don't respond to him, and he causes the sheep to scatter. Now the wolf comes in, and he devours, destroys the sheep. And, and so the wolf is in a not-so-subtle uh, uh, version of Satan. He comes other times where he's, he's not even uh, 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 trying to be subtle at all. He just goes and attacks straight on. And so uh, you need to know that you have an enemy who is Satan who works in subtle ways and works in very obvious ways as well. And so we need to be um, aware. With this kind of enemy, what, how do we respond? What, what, is, what is our answer? How are we to, to gird ourselves and to protect ourselves from this kind of enemy. I asked you a question as we started is, is how many of you uh, asked it in a different way, but how many of you are under the pressure of sin? How many of you battle with sin on a regular basis? And that, that will be all of us. We may not understand or may not realize that, but we all 
come against sin. Let me just talk about some of the ways that sin shows itself. Some of you today are tired. You might be tired from doing good things. I spent last night just enjoying a celebration of our birthday and all that that involved. I was busy all week preparing for that, busy during the day, busy after the event, uh, working from that, but it was a good tired. And I'm tired this morning. You probably are too, but sometimes that's a good tired. You maybe have worked a long week and you come to the weekend and, you know, people in the world say, why go to church? You need to rest. You need to stay home, relax, and, and, and you need to get ready for the, 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 the next uh, phase of work because you're tired. It's natural that we get tired, that we don't even think about it sometimes, that it is actually the result of sin. You go, huh? Getting tired is the result of sin? How did I sin that it makes me tired? I didn't say you sin that makes you tired. It could be that you sin that made you tired. But it's a fact that as human beings, we are oppressed by things, some good, some not so good, that weary us and wear us out in the present form that we live. Now, it's not work that the enemy, that's the enemy. You read in Genesis, God gave Adam a responsibility to work before sin came on the picture, but it never talked about him working in situations that wore him out and made him weary mind and, and body. In other words, God in, 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 intends for us to work, but there's something coming for us when we will work and enjoy it and not get tired. The best way I can explain, let, let's take you to a passage in Revelation chapter 7. Can you turn there with me? Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 through 17. I've been just reading through Revelation a lot and just enjoying that. And I just want to take a little bit out of there and, 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 and speak read a few verses. So follow on with me. I'll start at verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Are you there with me? All right. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their, palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So that's a great scene in heaven. We see a group. A huge group that, that are, 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 are praising God and with that all the inhabitants of heaven worshiping and praising God. Go on, verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me. This is John who's writing this and he's just telling his story. Who are these clothed in white robes and for where, from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. <laughs> I love John's answer there. 
The, the angel asked John a question that he cannot give an answer to, but he asked it for the sake of revelation. He says, I'm going to ask you something you don't know so I can tell you the answer to it. That's what he does. And John knows what's going on. He said, man, tell me. I, I don't know what, what all this means, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. And sure enough, the angel tells him. It says this, verse 14, I said to him, sir, you know, he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation." They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." This is an expression of those who have labored in their faith in God and have suffered as a result of this. And now they stand before God in heaven and it, it gives us a glimpse or a view of what God has in store for them. Okay? So we can relate to this. Those who trust in God know that God has heaven in store for us. And what will that be like? Just a glimpse. What will it be like? We need to get a glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Let's take a look at it. It says, verse 15, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him. So heaven is going to be a time of us before God and serving God. But notice what it says. They had Sunday morning worship service at 1050 and they would be sure to get out at 1230. No, I don't say that, did it? Uh-uh. What does it say? It says, serve him day and night. Now, something tells me there. Can I read between the lines? Can, can I do a little bit? All right. You tell me if I've gone too far. They didn't get tired. They didn't get bored. They didn't get sleepy. They didn't get weary. They, 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 they didn't run out of motivation. They continued to serve. Now, I know, I know a guy I was talking to years ago. He, he said, you see, that's why I want to be no Christian. Because all y'all going to do is praise God. It's praise God. It's praise God. I understood what he felt like, you know, because I've been in church where I felt like it was going on too long, too. That's because we have limited bodies and limited knowledge. Imagine if our bodies weren't limited and our minds weren't limited. In other words, if God would open up our mind to really comprehend more of who he is and what he's done for us and how blessed we are to be a part of his creation and have him as our savior, our minds would explode. And then to have the body and the capacity to worship God with that knowledge. In other words, I'd have the talent and ability to sing, to play, to speak, to shout, to jump, to dance. And I'd have the body not to get tired while I'm doing it. That's heaven. That's amazing. That we will worship God with full zeal and power and energy and come up tonight and still not be tired. And here it is, enjoy every minute of it. I think that's what it, that, that is, and that's what it is between the lines, so to speak. Serve him day and night. 
in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. See, there's a lot there. His presence is what is allowing us to be what he intended us to be, that we have limited in our capacity right now. So don't be afraid of heaven. Don't think you're going to be bored. No. We cannot imagine the things that God has for us. Let me go on. Verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. Now, what does that mean? I get the picture of this, you know. <laughs> I, I tease some of our, our fair-skinned uh, 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 folks we fellowship with about not having to wear sunblocker. <laughs> In other words, the sun, the heat of the sun, and the devastating effect, the negative effects of the sun no longer run a toll on our bodies. Hot, the heat, is no longer oppressive to us. Hunger. They won't hunger anymore. They won't thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat. What that says, and in heaven then, in the presence of God, in the absence of sin, we don't have the impact that sin has on us here. So that's why I said you're tired today because of the impact of sin. Some are sick today. Because of the impact, the devastating impact of sin. Have a birthday, getting older, you say, whoa, I'm getting up there. How much more do I have? Because I know the impact of sin limits my human capacity. But uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, can I paraphrase with a song? There's a leak in this old building, and my soul has got to move. <laughs> He's saying this building, this, this vessel that I have that I call my body is decaying, is growing old and older, and eventually I will face death. And at that point, my soul is going to move on. God's going to have a new body for me. The effects of sin are, are having devastating effects on us physically. And I think when we get to heaven, this passage is showing us that those things will be no more. So the point I'm making is, is that we all battle in this battle against sin. Some of that sin is personal that we bring on ourselves. Some of that sin is just universal. The fact that the whole creation is suffering because of the impact of sin. And when Christ comes and redeems, he redeems his people, he redeems his place. All of that becomes new, and we look forward to that. Jesus came, in fact, to do that. And in short, what he's saying is he came to deal with the impact of sin in our life. Now, let me take this a step. I went that broad approach in looking at heaven. Let's bring it back down to earth and make it practical. We battle because of sin, because of the impact of sin, and we struggle with sin all the time and every day. Jesus is the only one that gives us the ability to win the battle against sin. And we need to embrace that. 
Jesus is the only one that gives us the ability to win the battle against sin. I want you to notice what Jesus, the Bible says about what Jesus came to do. If you look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, if you're in Revelation, just turn back a few. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this. Give you a moment to turn there. If you got there, say amen. amen. Still looking? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Stop and pause. What does that mean? Children mean God's creation. Flesh and blood mean a human physical body. He himself, talking about Jesus Christ, partook of the same things. He took on a human body. God, the Son, took, took, uh, stepped out of heaven and became a human being. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That's a mouthful. See, Jesus came to destroy Satan. And he's going to do it through death. Now, how does Jesus do that through death? He did it by hanging on the cross and dying for my sin. Giving me victory over sin so Satan would no longer have a claim on me. Jesus destroys the power that Satan had over me, the claim that Satan had over me by his death on the cross. He became a human being so he could die on the cross. He died on the cross to destroy Satan and to destroy his power and his work. Read that again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to destroy Satan and to deliver Satan's captives. That was you, that was me. Jesus is the only one who's able to do that. He says he came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. If you fear death, then you become a, a slave of Satan. In other words, Satan has that power of death and you can't get over it. You can't get around it. You have no way to battle him. Only through Christ can you do that. So what's practical is Christ gives us what we need to win the battle of sin. He came to destroy Satan. In, John, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, I want to read that again. 1 John chapter 3 tells us what Jesus came to do as well, not only to destroy Satan, but to destroy his works. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came then, it says, to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came not only to destroy Satan, but to destroy all the impact Satan has had on all of God's creation. That's where he brings hope for me and you. We're not talking about just tomorrow and in the future. We're talking about right now. We struggle with temptation. We struggle with sin on a daily basis. Jesus gives us power to overcome that sin in our lives. Now, how do we do that on a practical way? Let's take a look at that. In, 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 in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. You can turn there. James 4, verse 6. Excuse me, James 4, verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It says we ought to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. He's talking about our living on a daily basis. Satan attacks us with thought. He attacks us with things that we should do or he attacks us not to do the things that we ought to do. You know, it may, it may have been hard for you waking up this morning, getting to church. You might have to fight that battle. You might, you'll have other battles that you have to fight continually because of Satan's attack. But he says he resists the devil. My question is, how do you do that? How are you and I going to resist the devil? Well, the first part of that verse gives us the clue uh, uh, how to do that. It says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. It is impossible to resist Satan and to win the battle over sin without first submitting ourselves to God. Let me, let me talk about two ways that, that, that you have to do that. First of all, you have to have a relationship with God. You submit yourself to God where you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and I beg you to save me on the basis of the payment that Jesus made. Save me today. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart. Give me a new heart. All because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me. He paid the debt that I owed. He paid for my sin on the cross. And you accepted that payment. And all you ask me to do is to trust in him and submit now to you. That's where we start. It starts with a relationship with God where we trust Christ. He said, well, what else is necessary? Well, we need to walk in that. Let me talk about what that means. In 2 Peter chapter 1, if you turn there with me, 2 Peter chapter 1. So resisting the devil means submitting to God first. And submitting to God is to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, Verse 5, just want to read some verses here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. If you found that, you're with me, just say amen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Then it goes on to list several things there. You ought to supplement your faith. 
virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, or brotherly affection and love. I want to start here. He says, make every effort. In other words, this Christian walk is not a passive walk where you just say, I'll submit to God and I got nothing else to do. I don't have to do anything else. Submitting to God is all that I've done, as if that's a true statement or even possible. It's not possible. Here he talks about what submitting to God really means. Yes, it means accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. But it says make every effort. In other words, you have a responsibility now to live a certain way. Now that you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, God expects you, in fact, demands that you live This way, make every effort. That means on your part, there's an effort. He said, well, you know, I'm free in Christ and I can do as I please. No, you're not. When you are free in Christ, you're actually a slave of God. You actually become his servant. You're saying, Lord, that's why we call him Lord, because he's our master. We, 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 we acknowledge his lordship in our lives. And he says here, now make every effort. And he says this. To supplement your faith. Supplement your faith. Some take vitamins to supplement what? Their diet. They're saying I eat this food and that's good, but I add something to it. He says, supplement your faith. Now, he's not saying faith alone is insufficient. He says the faith alone that's in Christ alone looks like this. It looks like growth. It looks like continual growth. Faith alone in Christ alone doesn't stop and end there. It continues to grow. So he says, supplement your faith with this. What? With virtue. That's excellence. Knowledge. In other words, there's things you need to learn more and more about God and things you need to learn more and more about his purpose, his plan, more and more about yourself and what he says about you and what you need, why you need him, why you serve him. You need, you need that knowledge. This is self-control. We understand what self-control is. In his fight against sin, God says there's something required of you. Yes, it starts with your faith, but it grows from there. He says self-control, steadfastness. People want to say, well, pastor, I tried. In other words, I'm giving up, I'm done. I tried it, it didn't seem to work, and I'm walking away. God says add to your faith these things. Part of that is a self-control and a steadfastness. The Bible says a good man may fall seven times. He gets up each time. That's part of his nature. He doesn't want to stay there. You come and you're encouraged by God's people. You're encouraged by God's word. And you want to be steadfast. That's a part of the growth process that allows you to battle and to fight against sin. Add to steadfastness, godliness. That's the inner desire to be like God. Well, I, I just shudder when people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I need to go to church. That's like saying, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I need to do anything to be like God at all. And I get to pick and choose what it is I, I, I want to do. Nobody asks, does God require that of me? Does he desire that of me? 
Does he want me? Well, look, he wants you to be steadfast. He wants you to be godly. He wants you to be in self-control. One of the practical ways of doing that is joining yourself with God's people who in their fellowship will hold you accountable and give you a means and a ways of fellowship to work through the struggles in your life. God didn't have you live on an island and be isolated from everybody. He says, come on in a group and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to help you in that process by my people in my way. Get connected with God's people. And to godliness, brotherly affection. (laughs) I said when I talked about my birthday celebration, how good it is to be loved. How good it is to be loved by God. How good it is to be loved by God's people. God wants his people to experience that. You know, we all come from broken homes, from relationships that soured. We come from all kinds of things. God brings us together in a body, in a church, where he intends for us to interact with each other in wholesome ways. And that brotherly affection is one of those ways. You need to know. You have a brother, a sister in Christ that cares about you. You need to care about your brothers and sisters in Christ. That brotherly affection and love. He says supplement your faith. Add these things to your faith. So the the message here today is that we struggle with sin. We struggle daily with the the catastrophic effects of sin in our life, personally, globally, in every kind of way, Jesus is the only answer to that. And we need to start that with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop there. It starts there, and it continues with a healthy growth in our lives. In your battle with sin, God wants you to trust in Christ and grow in Christ, grow in relationship with Christ and relationship with his people. So we all acknowledge, or most of us acknowledge, that we're in a battle. It is a battle. It's not an easy task. We also need to acknowledge that there's only one who provides victory in that battle, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We also need to see that as we work Through this battle, God has responsibilities for us to do in working through that battle. To supplement our faith with these qualities that are spoken of here. That we might grow and that we might be an encouragement to each other in that battle. I've been a pastor for several years. I I know um, I've I've run across people who just have a, a, a wrong thought of what a pastor is. They, they think sometimes he's up on some mountain, some cliff, and all he does is pray 24 hours a day. And then in his spare time, he reads the word. And uh, he has no time or no experience of anything else in life, rarely uh, encounters trouble and challenges in his own life or in his own faith. And so he's just on a, just on a different sphere. I, I want to tell you, that's not me. And uh, that's not the truth with anybody, but we all struggle with sin, and there is one answer to that struggle, and that is life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you submit to God so that you can resist the devil? There's no other real 
answer outside of Christ. But there, that's, that's not bad news. That's good news. We need to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray. I want you to, to consider how God wants you to respond in your battle against sin. Maybe you recognize that you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. And God is calling you to that right now. And maybe you've done that. You realize you need to continue on in that process with those things that you need to supplement your faith. Huh? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to just read another verse in that same passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, when it speaks of those qualities, it was speaking about those various things that we mentioned. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If they are yours, these qualities, and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. Are you ineffective or unfruitful? Let me ask that another way. Are you as effective as you could be? and as fruitful as God wants you to be. Would you consider that today? Father, I pray you speak to hearts today. You challenge our hearts to respond to you, to submit ourselves to you and the process that you have for us. There's some here today that need to be a part of this church. There's some who are part, who have separated themselves in one way or another by not being faithful. Taking them out of the, themselves out of the loop in some type of a way. And they need to get that right. And however you're speaking to each individual heart, Lord, make it clear that you are calling for us to trust you, to walk in faith, to obey you, to submit to you in these various ways. So move in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now before I close, I left a little time for us. I wanted to take about five minutes here. And I want us to reflect individually on what God is challenging us individually to do in our battle against sin. Think on that for just a moment. Then I want you to just stand, just an individual who wants to share. I want to take three or four responses to that. How's God challenge you in your battle 
against sin. Unusual, we don't usually do this. Yes, brother. Amen. 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 I praise the Lord that you mentioned that. Not afraid to speak of that because as God's people here, they can interact in wholesome ways, relate to you the same challenges that they have in that same area for various reasons, but give you hope and encouragement in that as well. Someone else. All right. Mm-hmm. Amen. And Jacqueline is experiencing some challenges in her job situation. We can pray for her in that. And that she wants to trust God. Praise God for that. Lawrence. Amen. Make it a practical application in our lives, not just for the heaven view, but for the earth, uh, the lives that we live right now today. Brother Bill. Amen. Amen. One more. Two more we'll take. For me, it's moving purely out of obedience and not by another name. Brother, what's your name again? Chris. Chris, all right. Satan is crafty in his attack on us, and he knows how to, to work in an individual way. Do we have one more? Jonathan, yes. Hearing the response, how God is moving in the hearts. Would you stand as we close our service? I'm going to ask Brother Cliff Hill if he would offer a word of prayer. Don and I are going to go to the back where we can have greetings with each of you.